My name is Brock Bernstein, and welcome to episode 2 of Weird Things in Salt Lake City. Today, I am once again joined by Tess Roundy and Kofi Anderson. In this episode, we will be talking about the earthquake that shook Salt Lake City to its core in March of 2020. This natural disaster left tens of thousands without power, caused work to be suspended at Utah's public health labs, even in the middle of a pandemic, and forced all flights to the Salt Lake International Airport to be diverted. Kofi tells the story further. It's Wednesday, March 18th, 2020. At approximately 7 a.m. Mountain Time, a 5.7 magnitude earthquake sent a jolt through the entire Salt Lake Valley. Strong shaking lasted several seconds, rattling everyone throughout the county. An estimated 2.67 million people felt the impact. Homes shook violently, the ground shifted and swayed. This 5.7 magnitude earthquake was felt by people in Colorado, Idaho, Wyoming, and Nevada. It was the largest earthquake in Utah since 1992. The relationship between Utah and earthquakes is a strong and old one. Since 1847, Utah has experienced 17 earthquakes greater than a 5.5 magnitude. Philip Hammond, a resident of Salt Lake County, shared his experience with the earthquake. Hammond is a local businessman and entrepreneur. He has lived in the United States since 1992 and is originally from Pukehina, New Zealand. Historically, New Zealand has experienced many large earthquakes. It's a natural disaster that many citizens of the Pacific Island are familiar with. Hammond is one of those individuals. Prior to the earthquake on March 18th, had you ever felt or experienced an earthquake of similar magnitude? Bigger, a uh, bigger earthquake in New Zealand when I was 17, which is 1987. So the earthquake that occurred here in Utah on March 18th occurred in the morning at around 7 a.m. Mountain Time. Where were you at the time of the earthquake? I was in bed just waking up when the, uh, when the jolt hit. So, yes, I was just uh, jolted awake, fully awake by the earthquake itself. What was the experience like? Very scary. It was, it was like the noise when it hit, I was like, I wasn't sure if it was a piece of machinery. There was a second where I was like, is that a machine out on the street? And then the fact that I, I actually thought for a second it was wind hitting the home i'm like is that just wind the vibration i'm like is a really strong windstorm and then the full force of it hit you know a couple of seconds later and i was like that's that's an earthquake so um it was jarring and um you know emotionally it was it was tougher than the earthquake itself the emotional part of it Obviously, on top of everything else that was going on, we were just a month or two, probably about a month into the pandemic when the earthquake hit. Understanding what causes earthquakes, where and why they happen, is crucial to being best prepared. Although it is so far impossible to predict the exact time of the next big earthquake, 
scientists can work out a lot about the statistical risk and potential size of future earthquakes. In the midst of 2020, an important lesson we have all learned is the importance of preparedness. In the midst of a global pandemic, which has had economic and political impact, as well as the unusual weather patterns and natural disasters Utah has faced, need for preparedness is abundantly clear. Being prepared gives us freedom from fear. Preparedness is a principle that Philip Hammond values. As we all know, earthquakes cannot be predicted. How do you prepare yourself and your family for the big earthquake that is supposed to hit Utah at some point? And how do you prepare your family for other natural disasters? You know, we talked about this just this last Sunday um, at a family gathering, and we said, what's the plan for us to connect with each other in the event of an emergency like an earthquake? And what's our central meeting location? How will we get to that location if roads are closed or damaged and transportation is is not possible? Um, how will we communicate if cell phones are down um, because towers are damaged? Or and so really thinking through things like that really um, I think is important. You've got to be able to discuss options and have a plan in place. Now we also after the earthquake added earthquake insurance to our home insurance policy. That's another way to prepare. I mean, had the earthquake split my home in two, I would have had no coverage. And by the way, 90% of Utahns are in the same boat. They just don't add earthquake insurance because they don't think about it. Well, I've added it since, and so I have coverage there. We've also really focused on building up our rainy day fund so that if there was a a long-term disruption to revenue for our business, We'd be able to survive through that, um, and you know, talking about it openly as a family. Um, again, what would the plan be? Um, I think is is an important part of it. Sometimes you don't want to talk about these types of things because they're difficult conversations to have, but the reality is you need to have them so that in the event something does happen, you know what to do. Um, you're not wondering okay, now what? You say, okay, we have a plan. We've talked about this as a family. We're going to do X, Y, and Z type thing. After a natural disaster like an earthquake, a portion of the population has an increased vulnerability to experiencing post-traumatic stress or anxiety. While the earthquake didn't cause a high level of damage, it did bring the people of Utah to its knees during an already- uncertain time. Too often, we vividly remember the scary and hard things we face. The 5.7 magnitude earthquake is undoubtedly an event we will all remember. Years down the road, we will recall the earthquake that woke us from sleep, stopped us at work, frightened us as we drove on the road, and made us ask ourselves, is this really happening with everything else going on? When there is an earthquake, there are not only geographical impacts, but emotional impacts on the lives of the people who experienced the earthquake or any natural disaster. Therefore, emotional trauma can be a result of an earthquake. In an already emotionally tumultuous time, with the pandemic, political turmoil, 
and other natural disasters, what are the best ways to cope with a natural disaster and maintain emotional well-being? Yeah, that's that's the, the, the I think that's such an important question because the emotional impact for me of that earthquake was, again, it was kind of like just another thing on top of another major thing that was already taking place. And so I think... Um, you've got to you've got to find a, a way where you can not focus on just the negative but really stand back and say okay yes it was this earthquake it was scary is there going to be another one who knows um they say there's going to be a bigger one than that and that this is just a precursor to a bigger one that's going to come sooner or later you hear a lot of that type of chatter going on and you've really got to um pause and say, you know what? I'm going to focus on what I can control. I can't control a 7.0 earthquake hitting tomorrow or in a year or in 10 years. If that's going to happen, it's going to happen. Nothing I can do. What I can do, though, is control and be prepared by how I react to those situations. So I think the earthquake served um, a purpose in that regard for myself and a lot of people. It was a reminder that we don't have as much control over things as we think. Things can change in an instant. But there are things we can do to be prepared for the unexpected. And so um, the earthquake kind of got me a lot more calibrated to being prepared for the unexpected um, because the ultimate you know, unexpected event someone can encounter, uh, one of the most um, powerful, is something like a natural disaster, like an earthquake. So I think, I think just again trying to maintain balance, not focusing on that something like that can happen, things will happen. You know, whether it's an earthquake or some other type of seismic event we encounter in life, things are going to happen. And so I think, again, for me, that the earthquake served as a reminder to just be prepared and make sure that, you know, quote-unquote, my house is in as much order as possible so I can weather the storms or the, the proverbial earthquakes that inevitably come to all of us. Earthquakes can symbolize a major shakeup that threatens stability and our foundation for life. Doesn't this symbolism apply so well to the conditions of 2020? With the pandemic still raging and social change around the globe, there's been a significant amount of instability and foundational change. Every year typically has a few defining moments, but the past 10 months have contained so many paradigm-shifting and foundation-shaking developments. An earthquake is unpredictable, and as we reflect on this year, we realize that 2020 has defied prediction. But maybe we can apply the lessons from a natural disaster like an earthquake to our life and the year 2020. In the aftermath of instability, foundational change, and broken ground, may we be helping forces, provide recovery help, and provide assistance to reconstruct our world and make it a little better. As Kofi said, this year has done nothing but defy expectations. As someone who spent most of their life in Pennsylvania, I had never experienced an earthquake before, let alone one of this magnitude. I woke up that day to my building pitchy and shaking and ran out of my apartment complex to see all of the other residents who were just as confused as I was. 
Because I was left without power, and there were still more aftershocks to come, I had to go to a friend's house in the foothill area of Salt Lake City. Despite being much closer to the mountains, I was still able to feel the aftershocks for several hours. To better understand the science behind what happened, Tess spoke with Keith Coper, a seismologist and professor at the University of Utah. My name is Keith Coper, um, professor, uh, Department of Geology and Geophysics, and I'm the director of the University of Utah Seismograph Stations. So what we do is uh, we monitor uh, the Utah and the surrounding states for earthquakes. And uh, so, you know, the study of earthquakes is called seismology and uh, the instruments that we use to record the movement of the ground, those are called seismometers. And so what we do is we have a network of these seismometers that are all throughout the state of Utah. And we have a second network of these seismometers that's in uh, Yellowstone National Park. And they're always on. So 24 seven, 365 days a year, we're always leaving these things on. And that's because we don't know when, you know, an earthquake is gonna happen. And what they do is they record vibrations uh, in the ground and all the data gets sent, uh, you know, usually via like a cell phone or internet or um, sometimes by microwave uh, radio, um, all the data gets sent from all these different seismometers, the data gets sent back here to University of Utah. And then we're continuously monitoring to, to see if we detect any earthquakes. Is that normal for a city? Or is that just because we are maybe prone to earthquakes that we yeah. have? Yeah, correct. It's the second. And okay. so it's because we know that we're in sort of a high hazard area that we, that we put them out. And so, uh, for instance, Seattle, Los Angeles, San Francisco are similar. There's lots of seismometers uh, in the city. Um, but then other cities, let's say Chicago, uh, for instance, or St. Louis or Miami, you know, places where you don't expect uh, earthquakes, we don't put out the seismometers in, in those places. Why are there earthquakes in Utah? Um, could you maybe yeah. go to the science a little bit of that? <laughs> I mean, the, the primary reason is that there's uh, tectonic forces here in the, in the crust. And so, you know, one of the reasons we have the beautiful mountains uh, that we do, you know, the Wasatch and, and uh, other mountain ranges is uh, because the crust has been sort of deformed and compressed. And so there's a lot of stress. And the mountains are kind of related to an earlier period millions of years ago. And what's happening right now, believe it or not, is that Utah is being stretched apart. So it's being pulled sideways by uh, these, these massive geologic forces. And what's unusual is that we're not actually on a boundary between two of the tectonic plates. Okay. So you probably know about this, but like California is a boundary between the Pacific plate on the west and the North American plate uh, to the east. And, other places like Japan, the reason there's a lot of earthquakes in Japan is because it's on a plate boundary. So one of the things that's really unusual and interesting about Utah and the Western US is, you know, we have all these mountains and these big tectonic forces, and we're not actually on, on the boundary of the, uh, between two plates. And so our plate is kind of being ripped apart a little bit, actually, the North American plate. And, um, it's, uh, 
you know, it, it has to do with, with uh, mantle convection, which is this, these big sort of cycles. The mantle is the part of the earth that's underneath the crust. And it's actually over millions of years, it's actually cycling, cycling around. And so it's really these big kind of tectonic forces that have coalesced here um, th that, you know, the same forces that kind of relate to the mountains are, are causing this, this stretching and, and causing these earthquakes. Is there a way to predict earthquakes? There's not, unfortunately. Uh, they, as far as we can tell, they um, they can be forecast, so we can estimate. Oh, maybe there's a twenty percent probability of a magnitude five or bigger over the next ten years. You know, in this certain place. So it's a little bit like the weather. You know, we can forecast sort of the probabilities of an earthquake happening uh, in a certain place or a certain time. But in terms of actually predicting it in a useful way for people, for society, you know, we can't do that. Was there any sort of forecast for that one at all? No, no. I mean, we know that we live in an area that uh, has high seismic hazard. So the Wasatch Front, this whole area. Um, and we know that from, uh, you know, previous smaller earthquakes, but we also have evidence from geology that thousands of years ago, there were, there were big earthquakes that, that happened here. And uh, so we didn't, uh, you know, we didn't really predict or expect it on any certain day, but it's certainly not surprising, you know, that it happened. And so just as an example, one of our forecasts is uh, that in the next 50 years, there's a 50% chance of a magnitude seven or bigger earthquake uh, happening uh, somewhere in northern Utah, basically. So you can see it's kind of, uh, it's not very precise, right, those kind of forecasts. But nevertheless, they're still useful for helping to, like engineers helping to design building codes. And so based on the sort of expected shaking over the next 50 years, they have to have certain um, structural elements in place in, in the buildings and so forth. One of my questions was going to be, if we can't predict them, then why is it so important to like track them? That's a really good question. And one reason is, is sort of what I alluded to that it helps us better do these general forecasts. But the other thing is um, we don't always know where all the faults are in the ground. And so sometimes if we can detect smaller earthquakes, we can identify, oh, that looks like that might be actually a fault zone. And maybe we didn't know about it before and we can sort of map it out and that lets us get a better estimate also of what area is more or less likely to have an earthquake. So if you, if you can identify sort of a big fault and you can figure out, oh, what is its structure you know, underground, then that helps you get a, get a little bit more uh, precision on the, on the forecasting. When the, there was the earthquake in Salt Lake City, what was your reaction to that? Is that a fun yeah. thing in your job or is it just kind of like, oh? Yeah, it, it is actually, it's very exciting for me and for all the people I work with. And, you know, it happened in the morning. It was like about seven in the morning. And I was actually sitting where I'm sitting right now at my, in my study at home. And uh, I felt the, the shaking and I got underneath my table, uh, you know, which is what you're supposed to do when you feel strong shaking. And, 
you know, and I, I knew that it was bigger than just a, a magnitude three or I knew it was a fairly big uh, earthquake. And so um, the good thing, the thing that's really important is that uh, there were no deaths and very few injuries uh, and almost no serious injuries, I think. So obviously a lot of people still suffered. They had damage uh, in their houses or, their, or where they work. And some people had to evacuate. And this is, you know, during the pandemic, right? It's like one more thing to worry about. But because it was relatively um, mild compared to what it could have been, uh, it was very exciting. And it's sort of like fishing. You know, you, sit, you put out all your gear and you wait and you wait for the fish to bite. And so in seismology, you know, we put out all our seismometers and we wait and wait uh, for the earthquake. And this one was big enough actually to show us how different uh, buildings and different structures respond to the motion of the ground. So we have seismometers all over the city and some of them are in uh, different kinds of buildings and so on. And so another important thing we learned from this earthquake was uh, how these certain structures, how much they would shake for a given, uh, let's say size earthquake. And the engineers can take that and they can compare that to what they expected. And then they can modify their designs if, if they have to for future. When that earthquake happened in March, I was hearing like lots of rumors about, oh, like this is just a foreshadow to the big one. Is there any merit to those worries? Yes, they, they, so they are a thing. And so we have different names, right? We have these different names, foreshock, uh, main shock, and aftershock. And most people have heard of aftershocks and they're like the little ones and you probably felt them if you, were you here when the, when the yeah. earthquake happened? Yeah. yeah, I felt them throughout the day and then yeah. it was even happening like a few weeks afterwards. Correct, right. There was a couple in, in mid-April that, that happened that were widely felt and people got worried again. So, so most people are used to aftershocks, but it's true. There are these things called foreshocks. And uh, for this earthquake sequence, for we, we didn't have any foreshocks. So, and that's not unusual either. Sometimes you have foreshocks, a lot of times uh, you don't. Uh, and the problem is <laughs> you don't know something as a foreshock or if it's just uh, just a small event and, until you wait long enough, really. And let me just give you an example. Um, last summer, there was two big earthquakes. There's a lot of big earthquakes actually in California. So they're called the Ridgecrest earthquakes. And they happened around July 4th of 2019. And what happened was there was a magnitude 6.4 earthquake and sort of in the desert of Southern California. And people got excited and thought, wow, and, and they called it the main shock and, you know, they called all the other little earthquakes, the aftershocks. And then two days later, there was a magnitude 7.1 in about the same place. So what happened was as soon as that 7.1 earthquake happened, it became the main shock. And then the 6.4 and all the other ones beforehand, they became foreshocks. But you had no way to know if that original 6.4 was going to be a foreshock or a main shock. Other than, other than to wait. And we do know that the probability goes up of a bigger earthquake once, once you have, like, like when we had the magnitude 5.7 in March, the, the probability of a bigger earthquake happening uh, was elevated a little bit relative to what it was before the magnitude uh, 5.7 happened.
And that's because there's this small probability that the 5.7 could have been, you know, a foreshock to a bigger, a bigger event. And the good news is we don't think it, it was, we're not waiting anymore. <laughs> we think that uh, we're not expecting a bigger one, but, but you don't know really until, until it happens. So. So you said that there's a 50% chance that in the next 50 years, there might be a seven, seven mm -hmm. magnitude earthquake in mm -hmm. Northern Utah. How much bigger of an, or of an earthquake is that than the one that we experienced in March? Yeah. It's another really good question. Uh, it turns out that it's a lot bigger. And so I know it doesn't sound like much, like if you think about the difference between a six or a seven, but the way the numbers work on the, on the magnitude scale is each number is, um, is based on a logarithm. And so it's an order of magnitude bigger than um, a previous one. So just for an example, uh, a magnitude um, seven earthquake is gonna release about a um, thousand times more energy than a magnitude five. So it's about 30 times more than a magnitude six. A magnitude six is about 30 times more energy than a magnitude five, you know, and so each number makes a makes a really big difference. So there would have been just horrific damage. Um, if, if this earthquake had been a magnitude seven, the one that happened in March and it happened, you know, roughly the same place, you know, around the metropolitan area, uh, there would have been billions and billions uh, of dollars of damage and probably hundreds uh, of, of casualties and maybe thousands, depending on the time of day. Uh, and so that's why we worry more about the, the so-called big one, you know, that would be a magnitude seven or, or bigger. Thank you for listening. Once again, this has been Brock Bernstein, and I want to give a special thanks to Tess Roundy, Kofi Anderson, and Christian Stark, all of whom made this possible. Until next time. Thank you.